I want to talk to you tonight about the sacrifice that lives. The sacrifice that lives. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, sometimes in Scripture when the word brothers or brethren or man is mentioned, it's gender-specific. It's not gender-specific here. Ladies, you're not off the hook. This is for all of us. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. The God of immeasurably more now asks immeasurably more of us. And in order to continue to participate in the immeasurably more of God, it takes this kind of action on our part to move into a different plateau of more of God in our lives, where our cup has overflowed and we're drinking out of the saucer. And that's what we all want in our lives. Now, this is a bold and challenging call from God to every one of us to be a living sacrifice. The apostle could make this statement because he believes certain things about the gospel. The first thing he believed, we read in Romans chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. He says in verse 15, I am eager to come to Rome and preach the gospel. Now, I've read that for years and never thought too much about it. But we received a video a few years ago at the Global Ministry Center when I was serving on the Board of General Superintendents. One of our, my colleagues received this video from a radical group in the Middle East. And it showed one of our Nazarene pastors on his knees with his head covered. Standing behind him was another man with a hood over his face holding a machete. And he asked our Nazarene pastor three times to renounce Christ. And every time he asked, our pastor said no. And they laid him on his side and they beheaded him because of his testimony for Christ. When Paul said, I'm anxious to go to Rome, he knew that would be the outcome. If he ever went to Rome, he'd be found guilty by Caesar and be put to death. But he said, I'm eager to come to Rome and preach the gospel. That would be like my saying to you tonight, I'm eager to get on a plane and fly to the Middle East and go to some part of the Middle East under the control of ISIS and take my Bible and stand on the street corner and preach the gospel. It would be quick and decisive. I'd be dead within an hour. And that's what Paul was saying. I want to go to a place like that. Now, why would you ever wish to go to a place like that? Well, Paul says in verse 16, I believe that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, coming first to the Jews and also to the Gentiles. 
Paul believed in the power of the gospel to deliver. Now, in the church today, we've kind of gotten into a program of managing our sin and managing our weakness and just hoping that we can struggle through another day and we can just get by and that somehow we can overcome every now and then. But what the apostle is talking about is the power of the gospel to set people free from sin, to radically change them in the blink of an eye and, and deliver them and release them so that they can follow Christ, the power of the gospel. Uh, I had the privilege here a few months ago to, to participate in the funeral of one of our prayer partners. Uh, Gerald and June prayed for us every day uh, by name for our son and daughter, for their spouses, and for all of our grandchildren every day for 13, 14 years. Just amazing prayer partners. And she just up and died one day. Wasn't supposed to do that, but she did it anyway. Uh, the EMT people got there and they started to revive her and her daughter ran into the kitchen and said, you leave her alone. She will be angry if you bring her back from heaven. Don't you dare. She's got a living will. You leave her alone. And they backed off. They'd not ever had that encounter before. So here we are at the funeral and seated on the first row here is Gerald and his two sons and daughter, all Christians. And behind them are the grandchildren on both sides, all married, all Christians, all married to Christians. And in their arms and seated by them were the great-grandchildren who will have an opportunity early in their lives to know Christ, all involved in a church family. That whole family was deeply impacted by the power of the gospel. Well, about 50-plus uh, years ago, Gerald was in the military in Southern California, and he and uh, June were not nice people. You wouldn't have wanted them as neighbors. They both were alcoholics. He had a terrible nicotine habit, and they had brawls. They had fights. They threw things at one another. They threw punches at one another. They cursed one another. June finally had it. She was filing for divorce and getting out. Well, Gerald made the mistake of accepting the invitation of a friend to go to a revival in a little Nazarene church in Southern California. And at the end of the service, Gerald went forward, and he got saved. He got delivered. I don't mean he got help. I mean he got saved. He became a new creature. He said in that moment, he used to give this testimony at church and some of our more sophisticated people in Olathe, they just kind of cringed with it. But he said, in that moment, God delivered me from the power of Jack Daniels. I hope the only thing you know about Jack Daniels is what you've read about it. I was set free. He said, I never wanted and never touched another drop of alcohol the rest of my life. I was set free. He said, 20 days later, I struggled with my nicotine habit for 20 days but 20 days later, God just delivered me from my desire for tobacco. He said, I never smoked again the moment I got saved. Never did. I fought it for 20 days, and then God released me and set me free. The power of the gospel to deliver. There is no addiction. 
There is no sin problem. There is no hidden sin. There is no secret life that is beyond the redemptive grace of God when we come in repentance and confession. He sets us free. Thanks be to God. I like the chorus we sing sometimes in places. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain, to break every chain, to break every chain. We've got to believe that again. That's the only thing we have to offer is the power of the gospel. And if it isn't real and if it isn't valid, then we have nothing to offer a broken world. The power of the gospel to set people free. But Paul believed something else about the gospel, and I saw it in Gerald and his family that day. In, in chapter 16, the apostle says in his benediction, he says, now to him who is able to establish you, to establish you by the preaching of my gospel and the proclamation of Christ, the scripture says that the Bible, that the scripture, that the, that the gospel not only sets us free from sin, but it turns us in a new direction and enables us to walk in a whole different way. He, he, he sets us free to become a different person. Yes. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. All things have become new. New things have come. It's an entirely different thing. We're like new people when we're born into the kingdom of God. Now, the apostle is concerned that we take full advantage of our salvation. And there are far too many of us who have repented of our sins, but we live in this cycle of brokenness and wholeness and brokenness and wholeness. And sometimes our lives are filled with secret sin. Nobody knows about it. It's a hidden thing. We don't talk about it. But every time we fall into that pattern, we despise ourselves. We hate to look at ourselves in the mirror. We don't think there's any hope. We, we just think that's the way it is. That's the way it has to be. I want to say to you tonight that the gospel of Jesus Christ can set you free and turn you in another direction and put you on a wide place and give you a wide place for your steps and establish you in a holy way of life. You say, well, preacher, where do I go to get that? Well, the, the steps are right here. In this chapter of Romans, the apostle says that the step we take after conversion is to fully surrender ourselves to the will and purpose of God. We are born again. We're children of God. But even after we're born into the kingdom of God, God calls us to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. He doesn't want dead people. He doesn't annihilate our sense of personhood. He doesn't rob us of our identity. What he does is he recovers our humanity for us and releases our humanity into the will and purpose of God. We are enslaved to that nature of sin within us. It battles us all the way along. But when we come in full surrender, God through the Holy Spirit and by the merits of Christ sets us free of that inclination to selfishness and self-centeredness and releases us to live our lives fully for him. We are fully surrendered to the will and purpose of God. It makes all the difference in the world. All the difference in the world. 
You'll hear testimonies about it in, in holiness circles. I've got Presbyterian pastor friends who tell me about their infilling of the Holy Spirit following their conversion. They were struggling. They were wrestling with something. They don't identify it as we do, but they, they say there was a time in their lives when they yielded themselves to the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and it made the difference in their lives. They had victory, and they lived in victory. We don't talk a lot about victory in our churches anymore. We talk about brokenness. We talk about our struggles. We talk about how hard it is. We're a whiny group of people. Woe is us and woe is me. Are we going to make it? Well, get on. We can make it. And we can live in victory. And we can live triumphant in the power of God, in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. But that comes when we fully yield our redeemed selves to the will and purpose of God. And, and he raises us up to live for him with new power and new energy. Fully surrendered. Secondly, he says, I want you to be forever transformed. Even the sanctifying work of God. Though we understand there is a moment in which we surrender to the fullness of the Holy Spirit. There is then a lifetime of transformation out there in front of us. And he continues to change us, continues to go deeper in our lives, moves into areas of our lives we didn't even think had anything to do with our salvation. He is, uh, he is a dangerous God. God is not safe. He's dangerous. You need to put a sign out there on the front door and say, warning, enter at your own risk. You just might come in this building and run into the living God and never be the same again. Get your life all messed up, I'm telling you. I gave the retirement plaque to a, a young, an older guy in Canada, and I was talking to him, and I said, well, tell me about your, your, your experience. He said, well, I was a... I didn't go to church or anything. He said a new preacher came in, and his daughter came to school. She was a pretty little girl, and I wanted to date her, and I asked her if she'd go out with me, and she said, I don't go out with anybody who doesn't go to church. Well, he said, where do you go to church? And she told him. Well, suddenly he became interested in church, started going to church. Pretty little girls are one of God's best evangelistic tools. She told him a few months later, she said, I'm going to be gone for three or four weeks. We're going to, to district assembly, and then we're going to go to a youth camp, and then there's camp meeting, so I'll be gone. He said, well, can I go? She said, well, you have to talk to the pastor about that. So he talked to the pastor, and the pastor made arrangements. He went. He went through youth camp, went to district assembly. This poor little center boy, he's just trying to hang on to this little girl. He said, Monday night in camp meeting, I got saved. And Wednesday night in camp meeting, the Lord sanctified me. And Friday night in camp meeting, the God called me to preach. So here he is, 40 some odd years later, married to that pretty little girl. But his whole world was turned upside down by the power of the living God. And God has been transforming him continually molding him more perfectly into the image and likeness of Christ. And I want to say something I've said before in these services. We often say to our spouses, well, this is just the way I am. In other words, just deal with it. 
Well, God won't deal with it. He won't tolerate it. God wants to fix it. And there's nothing about us that's beyond the redemptive power of God's word and the merits of Jesus Christ. Nothing. Even our personality qualities can be modified and shaped and remolded to more perfectly reflect the goodness of Christ. Some of us have a temper and, and we blow up every now and then. And we just excuse it. That's the way I am. Well, get over it. You don't have to be that way. Surrender yourself fully to the power of the living Christ, and he'll go to work on that. He'll change that. He'll mold you. He'll shape you. He'll reform you. You'll learn how to talk differently. You'll learn how to worship differently. You'll be set free from a lot of the things that have brought grief into your life and problems into your relationships. He, he will just continue to make you into the image and likeness of the living Christ, forever transformed, forever transformed. And, and Nazarene churches are full of people who started out following Christ, who yielded themselves to the sanctifying grace of God, but somewhere along the way, something happened. Somebody said something or didn't say something. Somebody did something or didn't do something. And we've held on to that hurt or that disappointment. And every now and then we take it out and we polish it up because that's our excuse for being like we are. Well, if you'd been through what I've been through, that's where we go with it. If you'd experienced what I've experienced, well, bah humbug. Get over it. What do we do with those things? We bring them to the Christ. And we saw that I can't deal with this on my own. But I don't want to be, I don't want to be in bondage to this anymore. I want, I want to let it go. I want to leave it here. I want to go free of this. I want to get back in that place where you're continually reshaping and remolding me into the image and likeness of my Lord Jesus Christ. Forever transformed into a greater likeness of Jesus Christ. And finally, he says to us, I want you to faithfully demonstrate that you believe, that you approve of this, that God's will is good and acceptable and perfect. And you say, well, where, where do we go to do that? Well, we're already there. We do it right here. We do it right now. Whatever our age, whatever our station in life is, wherever we are, right here in this moment, we're to demonstrate that we believe that the will of God is good. It's good. Even the permissive will of God. There's some good there somewhere. I can't see it, but I'm convinced. I'm in the hands of the living God, and I'm convinced that God is going to make something good out of this. And my trust is in him, not my circumstances. My trust is in him. I believe in him. So I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm believing that out of even this, something good is going to come because God would not allow anything to come into my life that could destroy me, but he will allow things that come into my life that try and test me. And some of those things come into our lives because we live in a fallen and a broken world and people get hurt. Even Christians get hurt in a fallen and broken world. But we believe that the will of God is good 
And then we, we say if the will of God is good, both his permissive and his directed will, then it's acceptable to me. I can bear this. And I can do it for Jesus. And, I, and I'll do it without, without getting bitter. I'll do it without becoming critical. I'll do it without getting a bad spirit. I'll do it without turning my back on people. I, I'll do it because I, I believe it's acceptable. Even if you don't like it, I still believe it can be acceptable to me because I'm in the hands of the living God. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to get through this. I can talk about old people because I are one now. Sometimes as we get older, you know, our bones are more difficult to move and bend. Sometimes our attitudes get the same way. And sometimes we get critical. And we get brittle in our spirit. Not only older people, but I've known a lot of young people that way too. I told Patty one day, driving down the road, and I said, I don't want to get old and grumpy. She said, it's too late. <laughs> I've never asked her whether I'm already grumpy or already old. I don't have the courage to ask that, so I'm going to let her keep that secret till we go see Jesus sometime down the road. You know, a lot of our influence with our grandchildren and our daughters-in-law and sons-in-law is compromised by words of criticism and harsh words and complaining words. Angry words about God, angry words about people, angry words about the church. Listen, our children and grandchildren are watching. Our neighbors are watching. Our friends are watching. And out of one side of our mouth, we talk about how much we love God. And then out of the other side of our mouth, we talk about how much we don't like somebody or we don't like something. But your testimony is compromised. And people know that you don't trust God with your circumstances. So you're grumpy. You're the kind of person that when people see you coming, they'd like to go to the other side of the street. They'd like to wave from a distance. Because they know what they're going to hear. The same song, the same verse, over and over again. Do you know what? Do you know what I feel like? Who cares what you feel like? In that way, nobody, nobody. I heard Lou Holtz one day said, if you've got troubles, don't tell anybody. 90% of the people don't care, and the other 10% are glad you've got them. So just keep them to yourself. Now, that's not altogether true, but it's a pretty good rule of thumb. We compromise our testimony, our influence with the people we love, we compromise it by our words and the expressions on our faces. The will of God is acceptable. It may not be something you're going to run around the block with one of, one of Brother Marcus' towels here, but you can surely step around the block with your head up Believing in the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God. You don't have to dance all the way to heaven. 
but we do have to go with a sweet spirit and confidence that God is still in charge and he's taking care of us. He's called us to live like that. We have to, we have to demonstrate that we believe the will of God is perfect. Perfect. Patty and I, some members of our family are going through a horrendous time right now. And it just, it seems like it's been that way for 15 years. And, and we don't understand it. We were driving home from Carthage the other day. And Patty was asleep and I was talking to the Lord about it. And I said, Lord, I, I know you're up to something good. I know you are. I can't see it. And I know that when we get to the end of this difficult season, and surely there is an end to it. When we get to the end of this difficult season, I know we're going to see the perfection of your will. I can't see it right now. But I know that you're a perfect God. And I know that you're a good God. So I'm going to keep believing. And so Patty and I, in these days, we've begun to We've begun to pray, thank you, Lord, for the answer to prayer that's coming. Thank you for the solution that's on the way. Because we believe that there is a solution. We don't know what it is. I know what I've advised God to do about it, but he hasn't taken my advice so far. So I've tried to do that in a sweet spirit. But I believe in the perfection of God's will. And I want, I want, my, I want my children to see that in me. I want my grandchildren to see that in me. I want Patty to see that in me. I want people to see that in me. I don't want to be the kind of person people want to avoid. All I want to talk about is my troubles and my disappointments. And I, hurt. I don't want to be that kind of person. And thanks be to God, I don't have to be that kind of person. Through the sanctifying grace of God, I can plow ahead with assurance and confidence that God's will is good and acceptable and perfect, even if I can't see it, I can move toward it and claim it in the name of Jesus. The immeasurably more that God is asking from us is full and complete surrender. And the ongoing surrender to his continued perfecting work in our lives, knocking off the rough edges, shaping us a little more like Christ where we're not quite where we would like to be and never thought we could be anything else. And where we can move through life's disappointments and hurts and pains and difficulties and do so in the joy of the Lord. In the joy of the Lord. Terry was our neighbor. She was uh, about our age. Her father-in-law, Dr. George Coulter, had ordained me in 1970 in Henrietta, Oklahoma. So her husband, Gary, was uh, kind of special to me, and he had some real good influence in our son's life about 15 years ago. We've been grateful for that ever since. One Sunday afternoon, we saw Terry, and she said, I won't be at church tonight. She said, I'm having some blood work and I have to go to the hospital. And we really didn't think too much about that. People do that sometimes. They, some people need dialysis. Some people need treatments. And 
we then were asked to travel the world for a while, and we came back from one of our trips, and Terry was in the hospital fighting for her life. She had some kind of cancer in the blood. They finally called the family in, and, and the doctor said, we've done everything we know to do for Terry's cancer. And there's nothing else that we know to do. We have some experimental drugs we'd like to try on somebody. But if we do that, we could extend your life maybe two months, three months. But you'll be in isolation. Your immune system will be so low, won't be able to be with your family. Or we can call hospice in and just help you, help you along until, until you die. Well, the family, the two kids, and Gary just left that to Terry. And Terry said, in essence, well, you know, I, I believe in a God who heals. And he can heal with or without medicine. He can do it either way. Either way, it's the healing touch of God. You know, a doctor can cut you open, but he can't make you sew yourself back together. He can stitch you up, but he can't make the body heal. Only God can facilitate the healing that comes after the doctor's taken whatever out he wants to take out. Somebody has to repair the damage that the doctor did, and only God can do that. He's the one that facilitates that healing. She said, I believe that God can heal. And she said, if I've only got a few months to live, I want to spend as much time as I can with the kids and grandkids. So let's just go to hospice, and we'll see what happens. So they did, and after a week or so, Terry got just remarkably better, and uh, Gary put on that website where you can go, got their name on it, you can find out how they're doing, get daily posts about someone's condition. He said, uh, Terry's doing so much better, and she'd just be delighted if some friends would come by to see her. Well, Terry had taught public school in Olathe for over 30 years, and so there were hundreds of students, and Terry was the kind of teacher students remembered. You know, there are some you wanted to forget, but Terry was not that kind. She was the kind of teacher that kids remembered. And then there were scores of teachers with whom she taught. And then, then there, a member of a large church, and boy, people went. And about three days later, Gary got on that website and said, oh, thank you for coming. Terry's enjoyed your visit so much. Please don't come anymore. <laughs> he said, Terry's so tired at the end of the day, she has nothing left for the family. And the reason she's in hospice is to be able to spend time with the family. And it wasn't too long till Terry went to heaven. And they had a party at the church. They didn't call it a funeral. They said, you're going to have a party. And they did what just strikes fear in the heart of most pastors. They put a microphone over there and a microphone over there. And they said, if anybody wants to say anything, come on down here and do that. You know, and that just makes me sick at my stomach when I'm in charge of a service. Not a lot of people came forward. Several did. And, and I remember their comments, something like this. I went to cheer Terry up, but she cheered me up. She's just so positive. She's so confident about God and so certain about her future, whether the Lord healed her here or whether the Lord healed her permanently by taking her home. She just was so radiant in her faith, and I left encouraged. And I, I thought, you know, that's, that's somebody who believes that the will of God is good and it's acceptable 
and it's perfect. And everybody who talked to Terry knew that she believed that. So I have three questions for you tonight, and the first one is this. Are you fully surrendered? I'm not asking if you're saved. I'm, I'm asking if following your conversion, has there come a time in your life where you brought your redeemed life to the Father and said, Father, you've saved me. And because of your grace, I, I just want to give you my whole life. And I, I just want you to help me do that. I just want to let everything go. Cleanse me of anything that would keep me from being who you want me to be. Just, just release me into the fullness of your blessing tonight. And the, the second question is, are you, are you being transformed? Do people see it in you? It ought to show up every now and then. I was struggling with an issue while I was still pastoring, and I finally prayed through on it. I wasn't, wasn't struggling to be obedient. I just didn't know what obedience was. And I, I finally got that figured out, and I moved through that. And one of my friends met me in the hallway a few Sundays later, stopped me and said, J.K., I don't know what's happened to you, but I like it. Now, I've always liked you, but I like you better now. I don't know what's happened to you, but whatever it is, it's a good thing. I said, well, Malcolm, I didn't even know that it showed up. And I had a chance to tell him that the Lord had been dealing with me in that continued perfecting work about an area of my life. And I'd been praying about it and wrestling with it and trying to identify exactly what God wanted me to do. And I finally was able to understand and move past that. And I'll declare to my soul, it showed up. <laughs> Somebody noticed. How long has it been since somebody came to you and said, wow, I, I don't know what's happened to you, but boy, I've always liked you. Well, I like you better now. <laughs> Something good. I watched Patty as she went through four major surgeries in, in five years, two years, and uh, never once complained, not one time. She may have other places, but not with me. Never, never once, just surrendering all of that pain and discomfort. She actually moved through those two years as if she believed that the will of God was good and acceptable and perfect. And people saw that in her. You could see it in her. It was a hard time. And God took her surrender and has moved her into a place of intercessory prayer now that, uh, that I, I'm not sure I fully understand where she is. But when she surrendered all of that with joy, not happiness, but joy, God moved her to a new place in her soul. Are you being transformed? And could your grandkids and kids and neighbors from your recent conversations, if you told them you believed that the will of God was good and acceptable and perfect, would they walk away saying, really? 
man, that's crazy. Or would they say, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Stand with me, would you please? I'm going to ask Marvin, uh, Marcus t- t- to come, and we're going to sing uh, I Need You More, kind of our theme song this week. If you're not fully surrendered, I'd like to invite you to just give it all over to God, every bit of it. You don't have to be 21 to do this. <laughs> you can do it any time. You don't even have to have a driver's license. You can do this. And is there something you're holding on to that's hindering the continued perfecting work of God? I'm going to invite you to come and say it out loud to God and say, Lord, I can't carry this anymore. It's killing me. I want to let it go. I want to let it go. I'm going to put it down. I'm done with it. I want to get beyond it. And are your words and your attitudes betraying your testimony about how much you love God? I want to invite you tonight. The Savior is here. And he is ready and anxious to receive us and move us up. So let's sing this chorus and let God draw you. Father, in these moments, oh, Spirit of the living God, you're working in our hearts tonight. Now draw us as you see fit and set somebody free tonight. Set somebody free. Change some attitudes. Change the language. (laughs) Spirit of the living God, we commit these moments to you in Jesus' name. Let's sing this, and if you want to pray, you just come. You just come. Sing it out with him, would you? Lord, I need you more. I need you more. Yeah. I need you more, Lord. If you want to pray, but you can't kneel, there's a place to be seated right here on the front row. We'll gather and pray with you. More than yesterday. Yeah. More than words can say. Yeah, I need you, Lord. One more time. One more time. Then we're done. The Spirit of God is talking to your heart tonight. You just be obedient. I need you more. Yeah, I need you, Lord. Well, we're the body of Christ, so I need a hand on the shoulder of everybody down here. Some of you know how to you know how to do this, folks. I need you to come. Some men right here, some ladies along here, a gentleman over there, a couple right here. We're just gonna gather in. This is how we do business. This is how we do it. We thank God.
Amen. Amen. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. If you, if you need to slip out, understand, feel free to do that. If you want to be seated, you may. If you want to stand, if you want to kneel, whatever is best for you while we pray. Father, we want to thank you tonight for your presence in this service. From the very, very opening song, it seemed as if you were present in an unusual way. And I thank you for that. I, I thank you, Lord, that you're quickening within us a yearning and a longing for something more. You're, you're trying to call us beyond ourselves. You're trying to call us beyond hurts, beyond disappointments. You're trying to equip us to move through any circumstance and to do so in a way that brings glory and honor to you. We really do want to live in such a way that people might see a little bit of you in us, that they might hear a little bit of you in our words, that they might sense a little bit of you in our, 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 our attitude, that they might, they, they might see something in us that's winsome and beautiful and, 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 and so, so attractive, not because of our physical appearance, but because of the, of the clothing of the Holy Spirit shaping us and molding us into the image of Christ. So we come tonight, Lord, to bring things that have stood in the way of your continued work in our lives. We come because we love you. And we come because we want to be more like you. So, Lord, we just apologize to you for that, that hurt or that offense or that, that, that word out of, spoken out of turn. We, we, we apologize to you for letting that hinder us. We apologize to you tonight for saying that's just the way we are. Or you just don't know what I've been through. And I know some of us have been through some very, very hard things. But Lord, I know that our experience with you can trump every other experience in life. So I pray tonight that you'll pour into us more of you, more of you. Clean the slate for us, Father. Clean the slate. Just wipe it clean. Whatever we're carrying, if it's somebody, we're going to forgive them. We're just going to forgive them. The slate's clean. They don't owe us an apology. They don't owe us anything. They, they, it's all over. We're not going to be bound by that. We're not going to, we're not going to allow ourselves to get critical and mean-spirited and harsh in our language and, and words and attitude when, when life gets a little rocky. We're going to rely on you. We're going to try to speak words of blessing and encouragement. So I, I pray tonight as we humble ourselves here, some have come in full surrender. Oh, God of heaven, would you receive, would you receive them tonight and cleanse them of everything that's unlike you? And some of us have come again apologizing. We know there's grace to forgive us. And we accept that tonight. I, I pray that that the, the gospel that can establish us, <laughs> the establishing grace of redemption and salvation would give us better footing and lead us through, lead us on. Lead us, Father, lead us. I pray in Jesus' name.
Let's just sing that chorus again. I need you more. Will you just take more of him? Will you just receive him tonight? I need you more. More than words can say. Yes, Lord, I will. I will. God bless you. Now, I tell you what I want you to do. I want you to do something you've probably never done before. But what you can't do a cartwheel. I'm not going to ask you to do that because I've never done that before either. But I'm going to ask you to do this. Before you leave the room tonight, I want you to tell somebody what God said to you and what you said to him. Tell somebody. Give it life. Let somebody know. And say to them, I want you to help me. I want when you see me next time, I want you to ask me how I'm doing. I, I, I not only give you permission, but I ask you to help me do the right thing here and move forward and go on down the road in Jesus' name. Now just work up your courage and do that. Uh, I know, you know, my generation is not very good at that. Uh, but just, just work up your courage and do that. I promise you. It releases you. We overcome by the blood and by the word of our testimony. So we need to testify about what God's done. So God bless you. We'll see you tomorrow night. We thank God for his presence here.